This week's TribCast is sponsored by the Sam Party of Texas. We are Texans who have come together with a common goal. Fix our broken politics. Learn more at joinsamtx.org. And Eva Guzman for Attorney General of Texas. Texans deserve an Attorney General who will serve with honor and integrity. If elected, I'll enforce the law without fear or favor. For more information, visit evaguzman.com. Welcome to the Texas Tribune TribCast for June 24th, 2021. My name is Matthew Watkins, Managing Editor of News and Politics for the Texas Tribune. And this week, I am joined by politics reporter Cassie Pollock. Hello there. Politics reporter James Badagon. Hey there. And, and by reporting fellow Isabella Zoe. Thank you for all three for joining us. Um, this week, I want to talk a little bit about the latest developments on the preparations for our July special session. I know we're all very excited to be spending July at the Capitol. Um, but in the, since our last trip cast, we had Governor Abbott uh, following through on his promise to veto legislate the basically funding for the Texas legislature. And then this week, he set his date, you know, basically saying that the special session will be happening on July 8th. Cassie, you've been following both of these developments. Tell us a little bit about what happened this week and and where we stand in the preparations here. Absolutely. Well, I just want to go ahead and start off by saying that I'm so excited for July 8th, this special (laughs) session that I've been waiting for. Um, Last week, uh, you're right, the governor followed through on his threat that he made at the in the final hours of the regular legislative session that ended in May um, to veto a section of the state budget that funds the Texas legislature, its staffers and legislative agencies. Of course, um, this move by him came after House Democrats walked out of the chamber um, a day or two before session ended to break quorum and block passage of Senate Bill 7, the uh, elections bill that would have overhauled voting rights in the state. Um, you know, immediately saw a pouring in of reactions from staffers, from lawmakers, uh, you know, pretty much criticizing the move. House Democratic Caucus Chair Chris Turner of Grand Prairie called the move by Abbott, you know, an abuse of power and said that the caucus is exploring every option, including immediate legal options to fight back. So that's just one of the many elements that lawmakers uh, are going to have to kind of work with uh, as they come back to Austin next month for a special session. Um, You know, there's a world in which Abbott adds uh, this, you know, adds some sort of, um, what am I trying to say here? Adds uh, refunding the legislature uh, to his special session agenda, which would allow lawmakers to file and pass a supplemental budget, which would basically avoid this entire defunding of the legislature come September 1. Um, but, you know, that's just like one of the many question marks that we have going in uh, to this special session. Um, earlier this week, Abbott called a special session for July 8th. We already knew that we were going to be working with that elections bill as well as other priority bail legislation um, of the government governors that also died that night that House Democrats walked out of the chamber. Um, And, you know, we have a few more other items that we know uh, are at least going to be, uh, you know, part of the dynamic of this special session. Um, You know, critical race theory, which Abbott has said he wants lawmakers to further target. 
Um, and then during a teletown hall earlier this week, he said that he plans to add, um, you know, to the call, uh, you know, legislation that would prevent certain social media companies from blocking or banning users based on their viewpoints. Um, so that's just kind of a glimpse at what we're walking into here. Abbott's office, when they announced the starting date for the special session, um, said that, you know, they're going to release or reveal the full special session agenda before July 8th, um, TBD on that, and what else is going to be included on that call. Yeah, Cassie, uh, first of all, um, most people I would assume were joking when they were saying they're really excited for the special uh, session, but I'm not actually sure with you. I know, you know, as a, uh, as a legislative uh, connoisseur, I, I kind of maybe think maybe you are a little excited here. I meant that in the most sincere way. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so, you know, as, as you mentioned, kind of uh, the special sessions different than the regular sessions in that. Abbott really has a lot of control over what they can discuss, right? If, if he doesn't put it on the call, then it, it can't really be something that the legislatures are voting on. But it seems like, James, we're getting an indication that this is going to be a pretty uh, action-packed session. You know, um, of course, the legislative funding, we know that this voting issue is going to be a major, major issue. But, but it, it feels like we keep getting these hints dropped, you know, critical race theory, um, uh, uh, bail, of course, was was previously mentioned. Now, social media that that we might be looking at kind of a a uh, a list of a lot of the conservative issues that came up last session that that either didn't make it through or that Abbott, you know, seems to be saying he wants to go even farther on here. Yeah, and I've, I've got to say first that I too am excited to put on a full suit in the middle of summer for this uh, special session instead of hanging out at my house in, in normal clothes. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, it looks like, like you said, an action-packed um, uh, legislative session. Um, I think one thing that we had to obviously point out is that we're heading into a um, election year. And so the governor, I think, is covering his base, his bases in terms of trying to uh, ward off any attacks from his right. Um, we know that Don Huffines is challenging him. The border issue was something that Don Huffines has, had slammed him on. And now Governor Abbott has sort of adopted uh, this policy that Don Huffines had actually pushed earlier on. Same thing with um, a couple of these other issues like the social media censorship bill, um, the critical race theory, not things. Well, I think the social media censorship was one that the governor had talked about, but uh, critical race theory definitely had not been one that I think was on his priority list. And now it seems like he wants more than what has already passed. So I think there's definitely a sort of covering of bases happening. Um, and I'm particularly interested to see if we're going to see a redux of some of these transgender bills. Um, the Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick has called for the transgender sports ban, I think, to, to come back in a special session. Um, and that's one of the, those controversial ones where the House sort of just put it on the calendar, but just narrowly avoided there at the end with just a, a last minute postponement. We don't know where that came from. We don't know why that happened. Um, and there was anger from folks who supported that ban um, of like, well, what were we even doing here? So that's one that I'm particularly interested to see um, if it's if it's going to be on the call. But that might all just be too much. You know, like as Cassie pointed out, there is the 
issue that you have to refund the, the legislature, right? And and the governor has basically said that, you know, if, 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 if they get their homework done, if they eat their vegetables, although I don't know if I would call these vegetables, but if they eat their vegetables, they can get their funding back. If you put too many issues vegetables on- or red meat whichever one <laughs> there you go i think there you go red meat might be the if you eat the red meat first then you can then you can have the the dessert i guess uh, but but i think if you put too many issues on there and these are already pretty i think it's fair to say these are pretty uh, heated issues pretty pol- pol- political issues controversial issues um if you put too many of them on there you might not even get to refunding the legislative branch, which could create all sorts of other problems. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what the governor decides. Yeah. Well, I also think it'll be interesting to see how the governor and other people use kind of their leverage in this situation, right? Because, uh, you know, of course, what happened in the last legislative special session, if I recall, in 2017 was um, you know, the bathroom bill did not appear to be passing. And then there was this issue of, um, you know, kind of another like kind of must pass bill that didn't make it out of the legislative session. And um, what Abbott did was he he put that, you know, you know, somewhat minor, I think it was a sunset bill, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong here, but basically a bill to keep like a small, you know, fairly obscure state agency continuing to operate into the next, you know, 10 years or however many it was, he put that on the call first and said, you have to pass this. And then I will open up all these other things that, you know, you, Dan Patrick, want to pass and other people want to pass. And so will he kind of do the opposite this time? Will he will he put, you know, certain bills that he wants through voting, bail, and maybe some others and say, I'm not putting legislative, um, I'm not putting the funding for you people, the, your, the legislature, on until you vote these bills out, you know, and how much is he willing to kind of play that game of chicken with uh, with the Democrats and everyone else. And then on the other side, you mentioned too the, um, you know, the bill that ban or, or that requires um, transgender students to play um, sports um, and with the gender that they were assigned at their birth. Um, some of these other bills that, um, you know, the they died in the house and they died kind of a procedural death. But, you know, you always kind of wonder when those bills fail that way, how much of that was because of they ran out of time and how much of it was because they, you know, conveniently could use those procedures to cause those bills to run out of time. And so how much pressure will be put on the house? You know, uh, social media is another one that just didn't make it up before the deadline to pass bills in the House. How much of the pressure will be exerted on them to get those things out? Um, it's going to be kind of round two of a kind of staring contest between the, the, the various well, chambers. I, I think, and maybe maybe Cassie wants to weigh in on this, but, uh, you know, I think it's I think we're in a little bit of a different political situation right now. Um, I think back then in 2017, you had a house that was a lot more moderate and sort of was the uh, counter to a very uh, a very hardline conservative group um, and leader in the Senate with Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, and he was pushing you know sanctuary cities and he was pushing in that special the the transgender uh, bathroom bill. You know this session. It, you know there was still there were still debates there were still policy debates and not agreement but. You know they they got a they got a lot more conservative priorities done this time, and so 
to your point about last time of how they, you know, they slow walked the uh, bathroom bill 2.0 in that special session. Remember, I think Chris Patty had it and there were questions about what it actually did and if it actually did anything. And um, it was all pretty cheeky and kind of sly. And if I remember correctly, also, I think that that's when they gaveled out early, right? They gaveled out like a day early. The house gaveled out a day early, remember? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was just like, we're going to get our stuff done and that's it. And there wasn't a whole lot of appetite for, you know, the red meat stuff. I think this time they've expressed an appetite for it. Although, you know, the social media, bill did die in the house uh but i think that was a point of order from the democrats uh the transgender sports ban still still unclear why that died um and so i think we might be playing in a, a little bit of a different political atmosphere but cassie you you know the house better i don't know what, what your sense is um one thing that i just wanted to kind of note here was just the large amount of uncertainty that we still have a couple weeks out from this special session. And mm-hmm. that may be, you know, totally normal or par for the course here, but, you know, just to go back to the budget, the budget question, um, is he, you know, in what way is that going to be addressed during the special? Um, how different is, you know, we keep calling it Senate bill seven, but are we going to have what, what version of this elections bill are Republicans going to file? And is that going to prompt some sort of, second round of Democrats breaking quorum, either in the House or Senate, leaving leaving the state even potentially to try to block passage of that a second time. Yeah. And then, and go I was ahead. I say, and even we, we heard from Phelan, you know, pretty soon after the session that he would maybe be interested in not doing it in a big, you know, as they describe omnibus bill, but like right. breaking it into pieces. Right, right. You saw the big three definitely posturing the week after the special, kind of expressing their own preferences in terms of timing for a special, what they want to see happen in a special. And, you know, there's some pretty stark differences there, right? And then just to to James's point is we still don't have a full picture, a full full look yet at what all is going to be added on Abbott's special session agenda and what sort of thresholds are going, uh, lawmakers are going to have to meet in order to get Abbott to sign, let's, you know, a, a supplemental budget to restore their funding or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So there's just a lot of uncertainty right now. Um, and I think that, that that a lot of that's happening behind the scenes. But I think one of the big starting points for a lot of this will be uh, what sort of concessions we see Republicans make on the elections bill. Um, and whether, you know, they decide to file a version that includes some of the more controversial provisions that you saw some that some that you saw some GOP members, you know, refer to as like, a you know, a legislative error, legislative drafting error, whatnot, um, again, in the aftermath and the immediate aftermath of the regular session. Yeah, that's what I was going to that's going to that's what I was going to point out too, Cassie, you know, you had then Republican lawmakers who fully wanted to pass SB7 and who were shouting down the Democrats for leaving then saying, oh, I didn't know that was in there. That must have been a dra- drafting error or something. Uh, so now they're coming out and saying, oh, well, that wasn't something that I necessarily. So to, to Cassie's point, like there's still that uncertainty about what exactly do we actually want on the elections bill? Um, and maybe I think for that reason, maybe they prioritize that one as one of the ones they want to get done first, because we saw what happened in the regular. They just slow walked it to the end. And that's something that Dan Patrick was complaining about. You know, why did the House slow roll this? Uh, The other, I think, X factor here is, you know, how ticked off are lawmakers going to be about their potential defunding, you know, and will there be retaliation on their part uh, because of that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's something we should not just let pass here is that this is this was a uh, a, you know, daring and, uh, uh, you know, 
exercise of power by Governor Abbott here. I, I mean, I, I, I've been sometimes thinking about what would the national reaction be if the president did this? You know, like, you know, I, I know the president doesn't have a line item veto, so it's not exactly the same thing. But, uh, you know, defunding an entire branch of the government in order to kind of pressure them into passing a bill that they want. Uh, you know, I feel like people would be talking about a constitutional crisis if this were on the federal level. And, and uh, I've been a little bit surprised that this kind of came and went as like sort of a one day story when he did it at, you know, what, 5 p.m. on a Friday or something like that. Uh, you know, I, I would have expected to see lawsuits by now. I, I would have expected to see, you know, Democrats kind of raising large alarm about this. But but so far, we it's it's been, you know, we, we saw some angry statements, but but not, not much beyond that. Am I, am I missing something on that, Cassie? No, you're not. Um... You know, we haven't heard yet from any of the demo from the Democrats, right? The, the the caucus chair, the House caucus chair, Chris Turner, saying that they're exploring legal options. TBD on that at this point. But I think it it really is just, um, and maybe I'm overgeneralizing this to a certain degree here, but nobody really knows like what's going to be on the table just in terms of leverage and what sorts of deals can be cut um, for a special because we don't know what all we're working with uh, in terms of. Abbott's special session agenda. So that's kind of what I'm chalking it up to is nobody wants to say anything that burns any sort of bridge uh, when we don't even know the full extent to what the battlefield is going to look like. But I will say, you know, we wrote about a question. uh, We wrote a story at the Texas Tribune about, you know, is this, you know, an overreach of executive authority, a separation of powers thing. And that story did very well on TexasTribune.org. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you, readers, for caring about the nerdy stuff that we care about. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about executive power, because the other big thing that Abbott has been talking about lately is the border wall, right? And, and this decision that Texas is going to build its own border wall um, now that Donald Trump is out of the White House and the Biden administration does not seem interested in doing so. Um, and that is another case where Abbott really kind of, um, you know, took a step that that looked like an expansion of executive power by issue, issuing a disaster declar- or an emergency declaration, right, um, about, uh, about what's happening on the border, something we usually see reserved for hurricanes and various other things. But in this case, it's an emergency about immigration, people crossing the border. And, and that has raised some questions too, right, about um, whether that kind of is in, in the spirit of or even, you know, follows the letter of, of the law around those things. James and Cassie, you guys wrote about that too. Uh, I'll kick it to you first, James. I mean, what's the discussion you're seeing about that action by, by Abbott? Yeah. So first of all, it is a disaster declaration. This is something okay. Cassie and I, Cassie and I, had to delve into. And uh, emergency declaration would be even one one level higher. Up. We had a moment of what? <laughs> yeah, we had a we had to check in with our uh, with our sources about you know are we saying this right? But it is a disaster declaration. Nonetheless, it's it's a, it's a exercise of the governor's executive authority of his emergency powers uh, to really take over. Um, and and use his 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 broad powers to try to tackle uh, an emergency situation. Now the question is, does an increase in illegal immigration constitute a disaster? You know, this this all stems from the Texas Disaster Act of 1975, which was was brought on you know in, in historically to 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 tackle things like natural disasters, hurricanes, tornadoes, hailstorms, the kind of stuff we see here in Texas. 
Um, it was expanded also so that the governor would have broad authority over man-made uh, disasters like, uh, you know, uh, paramilitary or military actions, uh, cybersecurity events, which are all the rage now. Uh, but thankfully, I, I don't. We've never we've never had a situation where there's been a disaster called for that. Nonetheless, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't you know it doesn't prevent the governor from calling those things. So this is the first time that we've seen a disaster declaration used for this purpose. And so there is the question, like, is this okay? Can he do that? You know, the, the Washington Post used to have that, uh, can he do that podcast for Trump? It is, this summer does feel sort of that way with, with the governor, like, can he do that? Um, and so I, I would expect that there will probably be legal challenges on this as well, particularly because of the uh, transfer of funds from legislatively appropriated dollars towards the Texas Department of Criminal Justice and the disaster declaration allowed him to transfer those funds, $250 million towards a quote unquote down payment for the border wall. There's got to be a lot of Democratic lawmakers who are unhappy about that and could pursue legal challenges. And there's also the questions about federal and, and state purview. You know, this has been a federal, a federal immigration has been a federal purview and, you know, and, and that's just rooted in the constitution. And so there are questions of like, what role does the state play in this and what authority does the state have in this situation? Yeah, I mean, this is this has been really interesting to watch because whether you like it or not, Abbott has been very shrewd in the way he has kind of expanded his authority really over his time in office, right? It's, it's, this, it's this disaster declaration with, or along the border, the, the veto of the, the legislative um, branch Basically, the, um, you know, he did this after the last legislative session where he used an emergency or a disaster, I actually probably uh, order. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm, now I'm having to be careful with how I describe that, um, you know, related to Hurricane Harvey to basically extend the life of the Texas State Plumbing Board, um, which felt like many to, a be, many to be a stretch. But he has taken advantage of his political position in the state, you know, in one part for much of his time in office, he's been the most po powerful politician. And he, you know, Republican leaders of other legislative branches don't necessarily want to be getting into a fight with him over these things. But he's also chosen smart areas in which to do this, right? We went through this legislative session where Abbott was um, basically talking about uh, you know, or where, where lawmakers were very interested in ex, uh, reining back his executive powers due to what he did during the pandemic. That didn't make it through the legislative session. And then all of a sudden, right at the end of that, he's back out here using those emergency powers to, to do things uh, that you might not have thought he'd be able to do, including shifting $250 million from the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, the state, the jail and prison agency basically toward border wall completion. But that's not necessarily, you don't, you know, if you're uh, Dade Phelan or Dan Patrick, you don't necessarily want to come out and say, hey, you can't do that because, because looking tough on the border is, is a, uh, is a uh, political, you know, win for Republicans in this state. Uh, but, you know, while you're doing that, you're also allowing a precedent to be set to, you know, for the governor to be doing things like this in the future. So it's definitely been an interesting thing to watch as he's, he's kind of wielded that power. I will say, I will say, Matthew, if I can too, um, you know, one thing that the political experts noted in this, in our story about this is that as long as there is one party rule or one party control of like state government, um, 
you know, the governor is likely to keep, uh, as, as governors have, and, and Rick Perry did this before him, uh, before, before Abbott, but they are, they are likely to keep testing the limits, you know, because if the legislature is not going to check them and they're in the same party, and as you pointed out, they're doing things that are popular with the Republican base, like a border wall, um, you know, there, there's, there's no real, there's no real check. And so they're, they're likely to continue testing those limits and the Democrats can scream and shout about it, but until the Democrats actually win, that's all they're they're gonna get. It is kind of like you know, I just watch, uh, just rewatch the Big Lebowski, and you know, the John John Goodman character, you know, has that great line. which is like, "Am I the only one who cares about the rules here anymore?" That's <laughs> that's pretty much where we're at. But I don't know what more is gonna come from it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's, you know, I think a trait that you see bipartisan across uh, both on the federal level and the state level of, uh, you know, executives want to, you know, grow their power and be able to do more with, with that office. So, um, interesting to watch how that's that's been allowed to happen uh, at, at the governor's level here in this state. Okay, let's pause for a minute and hear from our sponsors. Texas 2036. This session, Texas legislature made real progress with lasting benefits. Learn which bills will shape our future the most at texas2036.org slash blog. And Texas Biomed. Texas Biomed pioneers and shares scientific breakthroughs that protect our communities. Health starts with science. Health starts at Texas Biomed. Visit txbiomed.org for more. Okay, so as we look forward to a special session, you know, one issue that we have recently learned will be added to that call is um, critical race theory. The, the legislature passed a bill during the regular session um, that many kind of took up as calling the critical race theory bill, even though that bill didn't actually have the words critical race theory in it. But um, when Governor Abbott signed that bill uh, after the legislative session had ended, he included a note saying that more needs to be done to, I believe I'm quoting, to say abolish critical race theory in Texas. And he said that he will be adding that to the call for the special session that we now know is happening on July 8th. Issa, you are a, you've studied this issue. Tell, help us understand first and foremost what critical race theory is. Here. Yeah, of course. So... One of the challenges with this is that nowadays it means many different things to different people, but um, for some historical context and background about what it originally was, um, it's a academic discipline and theoretical mode and like approach that um, sort of grew, grew up in like the 1970s and 80s. Um, it was like after the civil rights movement happened and many laws, anti-discrimination laws um, had been passed. And in a lot of ways it looked like um, racism had been eliminated from like law and policy um, in a lot of ways, but um, racial inequity continued to persist. And so um, a lot of sort of scholars and activists and writers came together to like think about why that was and like, um, essentially like what was allowing racial inequity to continue and like what um, actions still needed to be done to abolish it, uh, yeah, to get to get rid of them. And um, I guess in the in the decades since it's really just like evolved and like proliferated in a lot of like um, really expensive ways. Um, some of the like core concepts um, that I think are good to know, um, one of them, is a concept called racial formation, um, which is the idea that like racial categories such as like black or white or Asian 
um, aren't fixed biological categories that have always been the same over time. Um, but instead, they're each like a very um, complex like collection of like meanings, um, attachments that have like evolved and changed over time um, in conjunction with like law and policy and also in relation with each other. Um, and so that's like one sort of like interesting activity to think about. Um, and um, another sort of like sort of core concept of it is this idea that you hear thrown around, thrown around a lot that's like racism is structural. Um, people are always talking about like systemic racism, structural racism. Um, and sort of like what that what that means is that like essentially like mainstream understandings, mainstream liberal understandings of race and racism is that like racism is a very like individual prejudice and choice and like um, sort of like a moral evil that's like on the part of like individual people. And that like when you see people do racist actions, um, like you can sort of name the racism as like belonging to them. And like the way to fix it is like by punishing them, by like publicly denouncing them, issuing a statement against them, things like that. Um, so critical race theory shifts the focus away from individuals to structures and systems and says that like we can't fix racism society by like punishing individual wrongdoers, but instead um, you have to like, it's because like th those individual wrongdoers are like not the ones who are like like enacting racial inequities in society, like broadly, if you like look at socioeconomic status and like um, like housing disparities, like all, all of that, like you can't point to like one governor who like put on blackface 10 years ago and say like, he's the reason. So um, critical race theory sort of shifts the focus from that onto systems and like policy and like structures and says like, um, like, like, like what are the sort of broader forces like at play um, that like cause racial inequity broadly. Um, so yeah, like those are like a, like a couple, um, like core tenets of the theory itself. Um, I think that a lot of the like debate right now politically isn't so much like people being mad about the theory itself as it is like the ways that this theory has been like, up, like, the, like the way that things have been done in the name of the theory. Um, and so, but I, I still think it's like important to like think about what the theory itself says um, in order to like enter these conversations. Sure. So one one thing that uh, you talked about is there's been a lot of conservative backlash about this. You know, um, it's 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 something that you're hearing kind of in states across the country on cable news and various things like that. Um, people making the argument that um, it's teaching children, you know, that either America is racist or that you know, uh, white people are inherently racist or, or various things like that. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, the, what people have said about, you know, the misunderstandings about that, um, that are in the backlash and, and, and yeah. how much of that is, you know, accurate in, in terms of when talking specifically about critical race theory? Right. Yeah. Um, like nationally, like a lot of the things that conservatives have been citing are things like, oh, like my, third grade classroom, like my, my third grader like lined was lined up by privilege level in the classroom. And like that's like one example of how critical race theory is causing this like broad indoctrination of our kids into like some like woke philosophy or whatever. Um, but then even like in South Lake Carroll, which is like which made national news like three years ago when like there was a viral video of people saying the N-word and then there was like a lot of backlash. Like like they had um like 
like like the backlash of this video where like these kids were like saying the n-word and like um it was like it was craziness um like they had convened like a like a um, like a group of I think it's like 60-ish like people, community members to like study it and like make an action plan going forward. And like, it didn't have anything crazy in as far as, as far as I can see. It was like um, trying to like include like diversity trainings, like um, have a sort of like accountability measure for um, like if kids were to like do something similar in the future. Um, but like even, even sort of like some of those measures that are sort of under a very like these days like a very common kind of like diversity inclusion kind of like framework um even those like were enough to cause a whole lot of um like conservative backlash like in that community and i guess like um what's interesting to me is the way that um like because it's like you can't just have like you, you can't just talk about individuals and you also can't just talk about structures um but like in in these cases where like a lot of um a lot of like oftentimes like white parents um like complaining about these measures in their school districts um like they're like they're concerned about their kid being told that they are racist or like their kid being like assigned guilt and blame on like like on the account of like um, having privilege or like being white or something and like critical race theory itself like like as I sort of mentioned before is less about like how do you make this white person feel guilty and it's more about how do you understand that all of us like participate and live in systems of oppression and power and like inequity and like how do you actually like work to change that um so um essentially like critical race theory itself in its sort of like pure theoretical form actually argues against some of the same things that, that, that conservative parents and like conservative commentators and everyone are like also being mad about. And so, um, because like, again, like CRT, like critical race theory itself, um, like one of its core tenets is like a critique of like liberalism and like liberal understandings of race and like how to address racism. And so it's, I, I've been interested to like watch how like, um, yeah, how, how those things play out. So, so uh, one of the things that you talked about in your story was this bill that has already passed the legislature. Can you tell us a little bit about what that bill actually does and, yeah. and how it might impact this debate and this backlash? Totally. Yeah, um, I think the bill has really come to like represent just like so much angst about general conversations about race in the past year since like George Floyd was murdered and this became like like a very like widely discussed national like national issue like again in our history um and yeah just like the discourse around it like it was just like very clear that um most that like many of the people like lawmakers involved like haven't read critical race theory and also are not educators um, because like essentially the bill um has a couple sections the first section like has like lists certain things like concepts documents that students like must be taught in their civics and social studies classrooms um and from like from, like from talking to teachers and um, and like curriculum experts, like those, like those clauses don't actually add much. Like they say, they say things like you must teach the founding documents, um, and like those things are already taught. So like that section doesn't really do a whole lot. Um, and then, like there's 
there's a section that like has things like teachers can't talk about like they, they, they can't be compelled to discuss current events in the classroom or like widely discussed topics like controversial topics um like policy debates things like that like they're not allowed to be like compelled whatever compelled means to like talk about those things um and if they do then they cannot give deference to one side you have to give like you have to you have to, you have to like equally portray all the sides and so when i've talked to teachers about this they're like am i supposed to like talk about a school shooting and say well from one perspective this was horrible from the other perspective like like from the shooter's perspective like maybe they had a bad day and like um they like you know so like things like that and then even with things like the capital riots like they're like am i supposed to say that this is like an okay that, that like you could conceive of this as an okay and like positive thing to do um so like there, there's been some sort of like concern about that um another another like sort of key thing to note is um like a clause saying that you can't like make civic engagement uh, or like or like volunteering politically like a part of a course and so there's also been like civics teachers who are worried about like how that will impact their classrooms um I think, and then Issa, aren't aren't all teachers worried about this stuff because like when you uh, you pointed out like what yeah. does it mean to compel or what does it mean to uh, become civically engaged. I mean, yeah. if you're teaching U.S. government and, and civics, like you want your kids, and there's actually a state law that says, hey, yeah. you guys need to register kids who are about to turn 18. Like there's a yeah. state law. We don't follow it. We haven't followed it. Yeah. Uh, there's been lawsuits forcing school districts to follow it. Yeah, totally. um, but like, that's that's the whole point. Like these teachers, all they want to do is just teach. And exactly. what, what this, it's unclear yeah. what the law does. And it's very, un, it's very clear that they don't know what, all they want to block is the things that make folks feel uncomfortable. And I think right. that's the political uh, part of this story where it's all folks, really, it's people on the conservative side, but even people on the liberal side, you know, President Obama has talked about how you can't be shouting down conservatives when they come to universities. He, he was talking about this the whole last decade, you know, we've just become a society that doesn't want to want to have those conversations, will not entertain those conversations. And what we're trying to block out is just any dissenting opinion. And that's not the way that's not the way this country was meant to operate yeah, your conversation about the founding documents you know when when we teach kids that like you know you know you know in in october 1492 uh christopher columbus sailed the ocean blue are we also not supposed to teach these kids that he was lost and he thought he was going to india like that he had no idea like that, that's just history that there's no there's no political part of that that he just exactly. was lost like that's just an, an objective fact yeah and, and like the three the three-fifths doctrine like are we not supposed to teach kids that like that is just things that we as a nation have to grapple with and they yeah. are difficult conversations to have yeah. but there are folks out there who do not want to have these conversations and it's become part of this big political discussion which yeah. i think is it it's it's unfortunate. It makes the jobs of the teachers difficult. Absolutely, yeah. Like like some of the complaints that like I've read about from parents or like seen on Fox News is like literally just like my daughter came home and asked me, like, <laughs> and like asked me about police violence <laughs> and like I'm concerned, you know, <laughs> or like or like like my son came home and like like asked me about like why we're different from black people like and that's what they're concerned about and so um yeah sorry oh, I, I think you're gonna say something Matthew um, 
Yeah, I was just gonna say. I mean, one of the one of the issues here is that who, who gets to decide to decide what's controversial, who gets to decide what is offensive, and things like that. And is it is it the parent? And are these teachers going to be susceptible to um, you know pushback or even like legal challenges if their parent is if, if a parent of one of their children that they're teaching is upset? I mean, that's that's I think one of the big questions here is how does this law get interpreted in practice? Does it have a chilling effect or or is it just something that basically yeah. teachers can kind of ignore and, and keep doing what they were doing because they're, you know, as you noted, no one is teaching critical race theory to third mm -hmm. graders. It's a concept that third mm -hmm. graders are probably not quite prepared intellectually to grapple with at that level. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And so like that gets us to like the last part of the bill, which is like a laundry list of extremely vague concepts things that apparently teachers can't have in the classroom. So like one of them that has been, it's, it's things like the first, I think one of the first ones is like, um, teachers can't teach that like one race or sex is inherently superior to another or like things like that. And then like one of the ones that has raised a lot of concern um, is that they can't teach that an individual should feel guilt or psychological distress like on account of their race or sex. And like essentially what I've heard from teachers is like, like, how am I supposed to control how, like, a white person feels when I teach about the horrible, the horrible, horrible things that, like, happened in slavery and, like, um, like, 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 when I teach about, like, anti-Mexican violence in the, in, in the 20th century, like, how am I supposed to be able to, like, 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 control how my students, like, emotionally react to, like, the injustices uh, and, like, violence in our history like the but even beyond that you said like how is yeah. how is anyone you know i remember when i was learning about the the atrocities of slavery and you saw you know pretty graphic pictures like in high school you saw pretty graphic pictures of slaves who had been lashed and beaten and the things that happened to them like you can't i felt i i, I saw that in as a as a child i remember the impact that it had on as a child i was a high schooler but the impact that it had on me right and mm -hmm. I was distressed and I should be distressed about that stuff. Yeah. How do you control that? You know, if someone doesn't feel anything, how do you, how do you control that? You know, it's, it's very difficult to, to police this kind of stuff. Sorry. I was going to say, you know, one thing that I think you hear from conservatives is they point to the 1619 project, this, um, this, this project by the New York times in which, you know, the, it was described in, in, in that project saying kind of the true founding of, um, of America was in 1619 when the first slaves were brought here, and you know that I think I think most people would agree that that was somewhat of a rhetorical device, and they're not well, saying that America actually became a country in 1619. But yeah. there is a concern I think among particularly among conservatives that that you know the history of slavery is being taught not as a um, a uh, deviation from the values of the country, but that like a lot of this country was basically founded on racism and the exploitation of, of, of people who are not, you know, white Anglo-Saxon, you know, uh, right. individuals. And uh, that I think is what is, is frightening a lot of conservatives. Um, but of course, you know, there are things that, if you're teaching about slavery, if you're teaching about the oppression of people that has happened in America, you know, there are going to be a lot of people who have come to the conclusion that that is the case and that, you know, the, that, that rhetorical flair of saying 1619 was the true finding of this country is something that they're going to agree with and, mm -hmm. and how you get into the situation of policing that or, right. or suggesting that people can't, you know, learn that idea, um, is, is I think where you yeah. get into a lot of the challenge there. Like, I mean, I think that like the brilliant thing that the 1619 project did was like, introduce this sort of key concept of like 
racism as a force that has like shaped the American economy and like shaped how our nation has like developed over time in like in like a much more like um law like like long-term and sort of like insidious way that like 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 then we learn in school or like then we usually recognize and like yeah like, as you said like neat rhetorical device to say like this is the founding of our country um but it like really like bothers me when like it gets twisted into like because these things like 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 to say like you can't say like those things are true and like racism and like the, the sort of creation formation of race is like an integral part of our country and then also like the founding principles that um like thomas jefferson and like our founding fathers said of like wanting to have freedom and equality and justice like those things are also valuable and like the way to get there is by recognizing how racism has shaped our, has shaped our society so that we can like think about how to like actually achieve what the act like what our founding fathers wanted you know so i i just sort of like i always see the sort of like um, like binary being set up um, where you can like either think that like like either value your country and like think that equality and justice is and justice are good important things or you can think that there's racism you know and it's like it's like not it's not that simple um, and well, yeah. As we we know that this will be coming up again we don't quite know how you know Governor Abbott has not has not said what kind of further action he wants the Texas legislature to take, but it'll certainly be something that we will be watching and keeping track of over the coming, you know, once once the special session gavels back in. But I think right now we have run out of time. Uh, I want to say thank you to Issa, Cassie, and James. Thank you to my son, Jonah, who you probably heard in the background here as he invaded our recording of the podcast. Thank you to Michael Ray, our producer. And thank you to our sponsors, uh, SAM Party, the SAM Party of Texas, Eva Guzman for Attorney General of Texas, Texas 2036, and Texas Biomed. We will talk to you all next week. You